there's, there's two ways of speaking of slumber. Uh, slumber is also unbelief, uh, which you know, Paul speaks about in the epistle. But he says, let us not sleep as others do. And I think it's very important that he said that there's a sleep of, in the world of unbelief. They do not, their eyes are not open, their ears are not open to hear that message. There's also for us, you know, when we talk about the virgin slept, I begin to that it's more like we're involved in lives in this world. We have a vocation. Mother, daughter, husband, work, employer. These things distract I'm told my mic should be on. Okay. Okay, sorry about that. For recording purposes only. <laughs> um, and that because we're so distracted by the things of this world, there is so much unbelief that tries to draw us in. And then here we're praying that, that no slumber or lack of watchfulness that we would fall into. May our lamps be burning, that we might have the oil of faith, that we might continue to hear that word of God and be enriched and strengthened uh, through that, our life, uh, with oil enough and more, uh, because we don't know when the Lord's going to return. He may return in the next 10 seconds. We'll wait, but, <laughs> or not. But every generation has thought that the Lord will return in that, that moment, because it can't get any worse. We think that way. We, it can't get any worse, but it will. Believe it or not, it will, and we pray for those who come after us that the evil will not overcome them and that we with him returning may find an open door that, that we come to him, the door is open, that we go in with him. Now this next one, okay, we, talk, we go in. And what's the image that's brought forth in this next verse? I think it's very beautiful. There shall we see in glory our Redeemer's face. We'll see Jesus. The long-awaited story of heavenly joy take place. What? Who's there going to be there? The patriarchs. I'm going to go back to Adam. He's a patriarch. Enoch and Abraham. They'll all be there. All the faithful have gone before us. The prophets, a holy band. Those prophets who laid down their lives to preach the gospel to God's people, the apostles, the martyrs. And I think of, I, I've been, uh, I said, especially uh, mentioned in this sermon, the last six months, a lot, I think we're entering into an age when there is going to be much hatred and animus toward the church. And if certain people get in control, there will be outright uh, stifling of the Christian attempts to stifle, can't stifle, attempts to stifle. But the martyrs. Um, there's a book written by Paul Meyer. If you haven't ever read I didn't, The Flames of Rome, it's a kind of a biograph, uh, uh, it's kind of a documentary kind of, it's, it fills in some of the gaps, but it brings together some of the historical events. You know, Christians were burned alive. They were put 
to be lights, and they just put them in some tar and they lit them because they believed in Jesus. They were fed to the lions because they confessed Christ. They were drawn and quartered. They were flayed and the like. All because of Christ. And these are the martyrs, the ones who confess the faith. We will see them. And even though they died in this, the world, the, the, the evil thinks, ha, look how an evil death. But you know what? They are rejoicing in heaven. They see their Savior's face. And so, we, they, so these are all the people greeting us in that celestial land. Their God shall from all evil. How many of you are bothered by evil? Okay. Come on. I know you too. You're bothered by evil, aren't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. you got two brothers. Come on. They kind of trouble you, right? Okay. But we're struggling with evil in this world. Whether it's the evil of the world outside of us, or maybe there's some fleshly evil. Your body doesn't work the way it should. You know, it's getting older, and things are just kind of falling apart. Uh, but that uh, evil of this world will be gone forever make us free. You know, you hear about people, they go through the cancer treatment, you're declared cancer-free. But they're not death-free, because they're still going to die. But here there's no more death, no more suffering, no more sorrow, the hymn writer speaks of. From sin and from the devil, the devil, and from all adversity, from sickness, pain, and sadness, from troubles, cares, and fears, and grant us heavenly gladness. So here the hymn writer speaks of this joy. This is where this is something the church here brings this joy that we're looking forward into our, our remembrance. That even though we see the troubles in the world around us, we see something by faith that the world cannot see. In that fair home shall never be silent music's voice. And you know, that means you're gonna be singing a lot. <laughs> There's going to be music and singing at the throne of God. Uh, there's no more silence. Uh, with hearts and lips forever, we shall in God rejoice. With angel hosts, uh, are, when, while angel hosts are racing, with saints from great to least, almighty hymns. Um, a picture of our liturgy. Uh, therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify. Do you know what that means? When, when, we, when we say those words and when we, then we sing, who are we singing with? Jody, are you singing with the people in this room? Yeah, but who else? The saints, the heavenly hosts. These voices that are joined here together are joined together with the heavenly hosts there. And so with a mighty hymn for praising the giver of the feast. So here, a very beautiful hymn for us to look at. And as we were, uh, think of the coming uh, close of the church here. And it, it also, bringing this back to Advent, is kind of like anticipation of the second coming. So we kind of flow into that. But uh, any questions on the hymn or thoughts? That, anything you've seen in that hymn that maybe I missed? I got to say, um, I'm taking zinc, you know, just, just you know, precautionary stuff and things like that. It makes things taste terrible. <laughs> the water they got for me for, it's like, <sighs> <laughs> my coffee, I to, I'm going to drink enough coffee to, to kind of get that out. But my coffee doesn't taste as good as it usually does. But um, Anyway, any questions or thoughts on that um, hymn?
Uh, then the verse of the week. From childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Uh, let's say that together. From childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now, the academy kids, you still probably had to learn this, so don't think just because you're not in class, right? They're going to still have to learn this? Yeah, you're going to still have to learn this, so take note. Okay, from childhood. Um, another word translates that is that from like infancy, from the smallest. You know, um, I, I rejoice when I see all these little babies in church, but there's something else that makes me even a little, well, that makes me a lot more happy. And I heard one voice today, a little voice. When I hear those little voices joining with us, he's not here today, but Jacob Bender, when he learned some of these hymns at the academy, I hear him. And I remember one Sunday I heard his voice and the pastor was right next to him just smile. These are the things we rejoice in. When the children join us in the amens, and they start, the, our Father, when the, the creed, and you start hearing these voices. And I would call, when you're sitting, listen for that. This is passing down. This is the joy. Even if you have your children grown, you know, uh, they still, they're saying it, right? Okay, you're saying it. But when you hear the other little ones, say it. We rejoice in them because this is from that childhood. And, it's, and the thing is, we understand that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures that these have been inculcated in you and brought to you uh, by your parents, uh, which are able here to make you wise for salvation. The uh, wisdom here is the wisdom of Christ. Where are you bringing your children? Who are you bringing them to? Christ, him crucified. Because the crucified Christ is the wisdom of God. And in the crucified Christ... That's our salvation. And so we, we make sure to learn Jesus. And it says, you've known the Holy Scriptures. And I think uh, pastors commented about this, and I think I agree. I think the best conversation I wish I could be a fly in the wall to was the Emmaus Road. Hearing Jesus un just open up Scripture from Genesis, the creation, throughout. This is about Jesus. This is about our salvation. And so here, that our children are made wise to salvation, that the scripture is open to them and they see Jesus, not just for now, but for all eternity. Because the now they needed to sustain them in this uh, veil of darkness, this valley of sorrows that we have to make us wise for salvation through faith, that we trust in Christ. And this is, the, faith is, you know, we bestow that on the children, but faith has to be sustained. Um, do your parents feed you? Did your mom prepare food for you? Why? She loves you, and if you didn't have food, what would happen? You'd die. So why do we bring our children, why do we want the children to come, to hear that word that they might be sustained? Because when you keep them away from the word, they starve their faith. So the faith needs to be sustained. It's not some magic, you know, one, you just throw it out there and it lasts. No, it needs to be sustained and nurtured. Um, and so we pray for them that this faith would be nurtured. Any questions or comments on Second Timothy passage there? Yes? Not on the passage, but 
Mm-hmm. And I and I look at from childhood you have known holy scriptures, mm-hmm. which are able to make you wise for salvation. So the Pharisees knew scripture. Mm-hmm. They were wise, mm-hmm. but not to salvation. They knew scripture, but they didn't know the Messiah. Just because they didn't acknowledge him. Because they 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 could not they could not see God working. They they saw the Pharisees saw the Old Testament as telling them what to do, how to live their life, how they, what they can do to, to receive salvation. They did not see that the, the trust that, I mean, Joseph, look at, we just went through Joseph's story. He was at least 12 years. He was sold by his siblings into bondage. Come on. What would you think, Caleb, if your siblings got together and said, we're going to sell you into bondage? And you were just gone. And 12 years later, about somewhere in 12 years, and you've been, you've been doing your, you've been where you're at because this, you're in slavery. You can't really leave. If Pharaoh says you got a job, you got a job to do. You can't just walk away. To think this is, what was he here for? He did his vocation. But then when he, then he, it took 12 years for him to realize why God permitted him to be sold into slavery. God sent him to Egypt. His brothers may have sold him, but God sent him. And so these things that they didn't see the hand of God in the deliverance. They saw it as their works. They, they couldn't see Jesus. In the, they couldn't see the Messiah. So even though they had all knowledge, and they were very, very versed, and who, who was among the Pharisee of Pharisees? Who? Paul. Paul was there. Paul witnessed the ministry of Jesus. He's a smart cookie. Don't, don't deny it. He was a smart cookie. He knew scriptures inside and out. And yet he didn't believe in Jesus. It took a, that, road, that Damascus Road experience to bring him to his knees and to confess Christ as his Lord and Savior. So just because they had knowledge doesn't mean they believed. And that's the Pharisees. That's the... They were looked at works and, and all. It's Amy, right? Yes. Okay. I'll try to remember that from now on. That just goes to show, show us that faith is not of our own. Correct. They, right. And for them, it's all about their works and all. But yeah, look at, but you think you know, that Pharisees, Paul was there. Paul was among the Pharisees. But it's just, it's just an interesting mm-hmm. because, because you look at that, I mean, they knew all these scriptures. Which is, it's just in Christ Jesus. It is. I mean, I think that the devil has great knowledge. He was there at the beginning. He saw all this stuff. He knows all the history. But he has turned away from God, and he wants to destroy God's creation. So just because someone knows a lot doesn't mean they have faith. Oh, I get, I get, I'm going to Lois first, then my son. Uh, but I'll get Lois Um, the, the, by the time Christ came along, there was a messianic understanding of an earthly kingdom. That's basically how they, that they viewed this Messiah as coming and establishing Jerusalem, and then they would have control over the world. And you see that in a little bit of some of the, some of the Pentecostal groups in America, that they believe that Jesus will establish his kingdom in Jerusalem. But yet that's what they believe. They believe the Messiah would establish a physical kingdom, have armies, and go out and defeat nations. 
that's why when it comes to Isaiah, the, the suffering servant, you know, it's like, what? You know, that he would suffer and die? That, that, that they wanted to block that image out of their mind. Yes, Philip. And it's not because they deserved it. Because everything they did... They complained. Do you ever complain about what your parents do? And yet they still love you, right? Right? I'm not going to... They're just two easy targets to pick on over here. So <laughs> but yeah, we complain and yet our parents... And yet here's an example. Israel complained. Another hand? Jim? You have a comment? Okay. Okay. <laughs> yes, Susan. The fear of the Lord at the beginning of the week mm -hmm. that we had. So if we're wondering how they could be wise, they weren't. They did not fear the Lord. They, they didn't trust in him or love him above all things. They looked to themselves. Okay, so let's speak this verse again together. From childhood you have known the Holy Scripture, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Okay, let us turn to uh, Exodus. Um, and is this going to bother you if I leave that stuff in here? Okay. Exodus chapter... The text actually was going into chapter 2, but I want to get some background to Exodus just to get into that. Uh, the last time we left off with Joseph in Egypt inviting his uh, father and their families to come to Egypt. Uh, and they, uh, they lived there. They were given the best land to live on. And there is you know, uh, some benefits in knowing somebody in charge. And so the, Joseph gives them the best land to uh, live in, and so that, and then we had the death of Joseph, which closed uh, Genesis uh, uh, chapter fifty. Then we move into Exodus. Does anybody know what the word Exodus means? What exiting or it's ex? It's out of way, the road, hodos. It's the way out. It's the Exodus, and that's where the the term you know it's, the, it's talking about the way out, people's way out. But in, we're going to do a quick look at chapter 1 here. Uh, the first part here mentions the sons of Jacob that came through uh, and it says 70 persons uh, were, came with Jacob into, e into Egypt. Joseph and his family is already there. So they, they weren't counted in that 70. And uh, Joseph died and his brothers and all that generation. And remember, Do you remember how, about, how old Joseph was when he died? He's 110. So he lived quite a few years. So this is, I mean, 100 years passed from, you know, from the time, uh, oh, nearly 100 years from the time he, while he was in Egypt and he was ruling them and protecting them. And then a new king arose in verse 8 who did not know Joseph. And we don't know here what does it, does it mean, a new dynasty? Or just it had been so long, you know. How many of you remember? Grover Cleveland, you know, type of thing. That's been around that long. And 
was it uh, one of President Tyler's grandsons died recently? Did you, ever, did you hear that news story? President Tyler, he was like in the 1840s. He, well, he had a kid in his 70s, <laughs> and that kid had a kid in his 70s. And so that, and this child that died was about 90 years old. You know, he, he was, you know, very closely connected to pre-Civil War time, but we don't remember that. It's so far past. And so here's an imagery. So we have either a new dynasty or such a long time had passed that people had forgotten all the good things that Joseph had done for uh, the land of Egypt. You know, that he had you know, basically saved them and made them the richest country in the world, but they forgot that. Uh, we do that around here. It doesn't even take it that long, probably about five years that people forget, or a year. Anyway, um, then a new king arose, and he said, look, the, in verse 9, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and it happen in the event of war that they join our enemies and fight against us. And it says, let us set taskmasters to afflict them with burdens. And this is interesting. Verse 12, I think we need to take note of. But the more they afflicted them, the more the Egyptians afflicted the Israelites, the more the Israelites multiplied and grew. They started at about 70 people. By the time the Exodus comes around, if you do the math based on the number of adult males, there's probably 2 million people. In about a 300-year period of time, they went from 70 to 2 million people to leave. So this is not an insignificant number. This, the Pharaoh probably had good reason uh, to fear uh, them. Uh, and that really helps. You, know, you don't want them to go to your enemy, so you afflict them and you punish them. I, but the more he afflicted, the more they grew, the more they, babies they had, and, and their numbers grew. Uh, and... They made their lives bitter, we see in verse 14. Uh, and then verse 15, the king spoke to the midwives and uh, said uh, to Shifra and Pua, uh, and when you see a, a son is being born, verse 16, kill him, and if a daughter, then let her live. Now you got to remember in those times, one of the things, and this is also probably happening in China currently, what do people want? Boys. Sorry, girls. That's, not, not, that's what in, the, in these militaristic uh, societies, they want boys. And so they would expose and kill the girls. What is the Pharaoh wanting to do? Just the opposite. He wants to kill the males and let the women live, believing that he would, this would subdue the Israelites and keep them under their control uh, more. And so, but the more, uh, so, and so he does this, and, uh, but uh, the midwives feared God. They didn't fear the government. We must obey God rather than man. I, I think this is very telling in our day, especially these, this year. We have all sorts of people saying, you must obey the government. When the government speaks, you must obey, because that's what the fourth commandment tells us. But if the fourth commandment, if the government tells you to sin, do you do it? No. You must obey God rather than men. And so here, these midwives feared 
God. And they let the boys live. Now, and they came up with a good thing. This, they, they get called to the Pharaoh. Why are you letting them live? And I love this. He says, your Egyptian women are wusses. They <laughs> come to give birth. They and, you know, and are the us Hebrew women, we can really do this. You know, basically saying that, uh, that uh, the Hebrew women are more hardy. Uh, and it, it probably wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised if they were because the women, Hebrew women were hard, had to work hard and they had to physically work harder, whereas the Egyptian women uh, didn't have to do that. And uh, so, but you have the, so this is the stage that's setting up to chapter two, that you have the uh, males supposed to be killed, the women, uh, girls being uh, left alive. And then the Pharaoh even goes to, he has his own people. Okay, the Hebrews aren't killing them. I want you to kill the males and let the, the females live. He's desperate. Uh, and this is uh, telling of also what goes on later with regards to the Exodus. The Pharaoh wants to, to stifle and stop the, Egyptian, the Israelites. And he can't do it. He cannot stop God's will. So here we go into verse, chapter 2. And a man of the house of Levi went and took as a wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank, and his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Uh, this isn't just merely you know, abandoning him. Uh, she was watching uh, there. Um, some things here. The, I thought he was a beautiful child. Uh, that is the same basic word as in creation. When the God said, looked at it and said everything was good, you know, this day was good. It was a good child. So it, there's, a, there's a connection here like Moses with, you know, that, that the, if you're hearing the Hebrew, you hear you're going back to creation. Yes, Philip. Yes, that that, 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 that they fled Egypt. Okay, and and that's another point then that they that they fled to Egypt. Um, we can get into that too, but um, uh, yeah, and Herod was trying to subvert the will of God, and he could not. Although people did, babies did die, uh, he could not stop the will of God, and that's the way the world is. And then she took, uh, but she couldn't hide him. You know, at some point, babies make a little bit too much noise and you just can't do it. Uh, and so she put him in his, an ark of bulrushes. And the word here, ark, is the same used in the flood. That he had, that Noah built an ark. Well, here you have uh, an ark. It's the, same, it's, a very, it's the same word that was used that Moses, and what happened in the ark of Noah, eight souls were saved. It wasn't an instrument of destruction. It was an instrument of salvation. And so she puts him in here. And uh, she puts him in this uh, ark. And the, she has the daughter, her, other, her daughter, be Miriam, watching all this. And where did she put this ark? And it says, then the um, daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. 
and her maidens walked along the riverbed, and they saw the ark among the reeds. She placed the ark upstream so that it would come down to where Pharaoh's daughter would be. So it's not, uh, she, it, she brought, it wasn't to abandon, but hopefully to give him a chance to live. She trusted in the Lord because she knew that if she tried to keep him, he would die. But by placing him in an ark, he had his chance to live. And she, and, uh, she placed it in that. Then verse uh, 6. This is the daughter of Pharaoh. When she opened the ark, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. And she had compassion. Not all the... And she knew he was a Hebrew because he was, you know, he was a Hebrew child. Uh, but she had compassion. She wasn't like her brother or cousin or whatever who was Pharaoh, you know, her father. She, she was, she had compassion. Yes? Would she only know because he was in the basket? And I think there's, there's okay, uh, in, in the movie The Ten Commandments, they identify him because of his garment. There's something else that happens to the Hebrew baby at eight days. He's circumcised. Oh, this is, a, this is a Hebrew baby. And that, that would be the way they would be able to tell. It's very, yeah. Okay. Does that, if, if anybody needs further explanation, talk to your parents. <laughs> and all. So, but they were able, to, they, they knew that he was a Hebrew child um, in all this. But she had compassion. So we see that unlike, that not all of the Egyptians were dispassionate uh, and uncaring people, that here she had compassion. Because if she would have obeyed Pharaoh, what should she have done? Kill him. Kill him. And she didn't. So we see this here. Uh, then they uh, call a nurse, and so so happens that there's a girl, a Hebrew girl standing there watching them pick up the baby, and, oh yeah, I could find a, a, a woman to nurse because of, there were a lot of women who had lost their babies, so there were plenty of Hebrew women who could nurse and so, uh, not only that does she, um, she brings her mother to nurse her own, chi- you know, her own child. And what does Pharaoh's daughter offer to do? Pay her, verse 9. So, her child lives, and who pays for it? Egyptians pay for it. Just as much as the, later on the Israelites will live, and Egypt will pay the price for that. And she, uh, the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter after he was weaned. And uh, she called it Moses. And actually, in Hebrew and Egyptian, the word here is very similar, you know, in the sense of this construction. And so he was called Moses as an Egyptian word, but also it was very similar to uh, a Hebrew word that had meant the same thing. And so... His name had dual, you know, dual impact. Okay, so then we have, so he's a child. Then we jump to his, and I'm going to say, based on the timing of this, is probably 40 years later. Because I think Pastor mentioned this. Moses' life is divided into three 40-year periods. 40 years Egyptian, in Egypt as a prince. 40 years in the wilderness. And then 40 years, prophet called by God. And going back to Egypt and living in the wilderness for 40 years. So um, this takes place uh, before he leaves. So he's probably around 39, 40 years old uh, when this happens. 
And it came to pass in those days, verse 11, when Moses was grown, that he went out to his brethren. And he looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So Moses did not, was not denying his, I'm not a Hebrew. He knew he was a Hebrew. He just was protected by being in Pharaoh's household here. And he looked this way and that. And when he, when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? Then he said, who made you prince and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. It's interesting. He looked all around thinking that no one saw it. And yet someone did. And uh, uh, the question they ask, who made you a prince and judge over us? There's an answer to that. God had placed him in that position. Because there's no way he would have been a prince of Egypt unless God had placed him there. Uh, and later on, they would see that after his call, that he was indeed their judge uh, over them to lead them. Uh, then verse 15, when Moses, then Pharaoh heard of the matter, he sought to kill Moses. So even though he was of the household of Pharaoh, that wasn't going to protect him because everybody knew that Moses was a Hebrew. And so that wasn't going to protect him. And Moses fled from the, and this is from the face of Pharaoh. And I, uh, I think I'm going to just, I've been reading all the things I talked about um, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But I also, when I've been reading uh, scriptures, I've been taking note of the word face. The word face. It's all over the place. And in the, in, in, if you look at it here, he, Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh. Why? What's significant about the face of Pharaoh? It's his judgment. It's his person. So he hides from the face. And hiding from the face, hiding one's face is to hide from, the, from, hide from. And this is my, one of my problems I have with the masking is that we're hiding our faces from one another. I'm talking to a, a parent of a college-age student who's gone off to college, and they don't know who their, their people are they're meeting. They, they don't recognize them because they're all wearing masks around. There's no, they're, they're hiding their faces from one another. And here, the importance of the face, that to hide from one's face is to hide in fear, uh, to be afraid. Moses was afraid of Pharaoh, so he hid from the face of Pharaoh. And he dwelt in the land of Midian. He ran away. Uh, then now the priests of Midian it goes, had seven daughters. They came and drew water. Uh, the shepherds came and drove them away. Uh, so Moses stood up. I know, I love, how many of you have watched the Ten Commandments? You know how this what works out here? This scene? Don't you remember? I just love this scene. Moses uh, jumps out from behind the rock and has his staff and starts. You know, I remember saying, 
And, you know, this is this valiant you know, guy comes out. It's just that's a cool scene. I mean, Charlton Heston, you know, he, uh, uh, I mean, with all its problems, I mean, it's a good movie. You can't deny that. So anyway, but here, so Moses defends them. He is heir, he redeemed them. He defended them from these uh, the evil ones that had uh, come over to take away their water. And they came, and they came to rule El, their father, uh, and they said, he goes, how is it you have come so soon today? Uh, and they said, an Egyptian delivered us. So they described me as an Egyptian, uh, probably because he was wearing Egyptian garments as a prince of uh, Egypt, from the hand of the shepherd. So his, their father knew that they had the problems with the shepherds and the other people. They knew that, but now they were delivered from this um, and he also drew enough water for us and watered the flock. Interesting. One man does the work of seven there, but, but he was able to defend them, water them, and they go, where is he? <laughs> he oh, stay out there. So they, they get into, uh, says, call him. I, they eat bread. I want to meet this guy. And uh, we find out that Moses uh, is given Zipporah the, uh, as a wife, and she bears a son, Gershom, because he's a stranger. And it notes here at the end of chapter 2, and it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out. Uh, and then here, notice in verses, verse 24 and 25. God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant. Verse 25. And God looked upon Israel and God acknowledged or knew them. And so here, uh, even though they are oppressed, uh, depressed, burdened, overwhelmed, uh, we hear in this that God hadn't forgotten them. Because God was going to use them to show his power against Egypt, as we'll see later. And then um, any comments or questions on chapter 2? Yes, Jim. Pastor, I'll just throw that aside. You, you made a very good point earlier about not following ungodly commands of, right. of the authorities. But if you also think about it, I mean, the, the Israelites were forced to serve with rigor. Mm -hmm. they, they were unfairly burdened. Not things that were unscriptural, but their lives were just made horrible. Mm -hmm. Yet they didn't riot, they didn't protest, they didn't or They did their duty. And, and what God even. Them okay, we're going to. What happened later, even when Moses tried to deliver them and, most, and Pharaoh made their life hard, what did they say? Don't, don't do this. Moses, you know, we're, our lives are getting worse. You know, so yeah. Uh, they, even today, I may have family members who say, what do we need to do to stand up against this tyranny? Well, if it's ungodly, it's clear. If it's not ungodly, we just don't like it. We think it's making our lives hard. You honor authority. You trust God. Mm -hmm. Well, the thing, I think their, their Christian life is going to be one of suffering. I mean, the early church suffered under, I mean, um, the, uh, the Christians were blamed for the burning of Rome. They, were, they didn't, but they were an easy scapegoat because of that. It was a false accusation, and yet they suffered because of that. And uh, so, I mean, the, uh, the, 
that, yes, there are times that we suffer as a church, but when they, they can't, like with Shadrach and Meshach, if they take away, if they make us do something that's contrary to Scripture, um, or try to take away something that we, that we as Christians need, then yes, we're going we're gonna to have to... But uh, I think the example of Jesus with um, Pilate, he was respectful to him as well. And, and, uh, but yet he suffered in, uh, innocently at the hand of, of Pilate. And this is the way of, of faith. Yes, we suffer, and yet we still do what's necessary. And it may, it may mean that uh, we lose things. Uh, I'm, I'm concerned, you know, churches have tax-free status. I, I believe that's going to be gone with, in time, that churches will require to pay taxes on the offerings we receive, on the property we own, that, that they will, they'll find a way. Yeah. What group were the Midians? What? What group were the Midians? Uh, they were descendants of Abraham through Keturah. Okay. If I say Keturah, do you all know who Keturah is? After Sarah died, uh, Abraham married again. Couture, and he had six children, six boys, <laughs> hundred and some years old, and had more kids. You know, so um, yeah, that Couture, that was one of Midian, was one of the, the children that was there. So they were they were related. Yeah, when he sold off into the, he was being sold into this. Uh, uh, but the Midianites, in a sense, were brought under Ishmael. They're also called Ishmaelites because you had the children, you had the son of promise, which is uh, Jacob. And, um, and uh, then you have uh, everybody else under Ishmael. You know, just, it's just like Ishmaelites. Whether they were not, they were just kind of, there's the two families, Isaac and Ishmael. And then you have that. Any other comments or questions on this? Moving on to chapter 3. As I saw this in the book, that's a lot to cover here, but um, I'm sure whatever I don't say, Pastor will probably have comments next week uh, to fill in if he has some additional things to, that uh, he once said as well. Uh, now, we're coming to, uh, so verse 11 is he's 40 years old. Now in chapter 3, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, um, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. So here we have the call of Moses. Uh, and about how old was Moses? What? 80, yeah. At verse 11, just, you know, he was 40. So basically, this, we jump you know, from his birth to his 40 years old now to 80 years old. Um, and uh, are there any, is anybody here approaching 80? Or, or 80? Okay. Are you ready to take on a task of leading 2 million stubborn people? <laughs> you know, and so here, uh, um, although in scriptures his vigor was not diminished. It says that of him and um, that Moses' vigor was not diminished. So I, I think that's a tremendous statement there. But yet he was 80 years old now when he was called uh, to, uh, by God. And it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame. 
in the midst of, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place you stand, where you stand is holy ground. So, who is speaking to him? God. And how is he described first in verse 2? Angel of the Lord. And uh, there are, uh, when scripture refers to angels, there's the created angels. There are angels who are people, who are messengers of God. There's also in the Old Testament the uncreated angel of the Lord. Because the word angel means messenger or spokesman. So here, the spokesman of the Lord, the one speaking on behalf. And it's the Lord himself. So here, even though it's called angel of the Lord, it's a reference to God uh, himself. And uh, verse 5, take your sandals off your feet. And I thought, do you know, other times when people were told to take their sandals off, they took their sandals off. Remember Boaz? Why did he take his sandal off? What? Okay, this is holy ground, but he took his sandal off. Because what was God calling him to do? What was God calling Moses to do? To redeem Israel from their bondage to slavery. And this is the, have any of you heard type or you know, that there's a type of Christ? That what Christ did, he redeemed us. You see images of that in the Old Testament. And this is one of those. Moses is an, a type or image of Christ that he delivered a people. And they were a stubborn people. And Christ delivered his people, and we are a stubborn people. And so we have the same images uh, being, uh, so this picture here. So uh, he was being called by God, it's holy ground, and he says, Moreover, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face. Go hit his face because he was unworthy to be in the presence of God. He was afraid. And uh, he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people in Egypt, have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sorrow. So repeating kind of that same imagery in verse chapter 2, at the end of 24 and 25, God knew their condition. He's telling Moses, I know the condition of my people. They are not forgotten. Even though I'm, how many, they're probably complaining. They're probably bemoaning their condition. And yet, uh, they uh, are known by God and he knows their sorrows. And then verse 8. So I have come down to deliver them. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Who's going to deliver them? God, the Lord is going to deliver them and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And here, land is sought to save them. I am going to save them. Uh, and that's why heaven is, is paradise of milk and honey, uh, the best and the sweetest and the best of and the fats of the land. 
to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites. So he's not only saying, I've delivered them, I'm, going to, I'm telling you where they're going. They're leaving Egypt, and they're going to a new land. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. I've heard them. And I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my children, my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And so here says, the Lord says, I'm going to deliver them. And then he says later, I'm sending you to do my work. So even though Moses does the work, who's delivering them? The Lord is. So we come back to that. Even though, uh, and this I think the office of the ministries are, you know, when the pastor absolves us, it's as certain as if God himself, uh, when he speaks that word of absolution, and that's the certainty we have that uh, God is speaking, God's performing his work, God is feeding you of his very body and blood in the Lord's Supper, God's baptizing the children, God's absolving, the, man, the pastor's the voice of God, the hand of God in these places. Okay. Um, uh, do, 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 do. Verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. It's interesting. The sign. What is the sign? Where he's at, that mountain. That mountain. You know, this flaming, fiery bush that's not consumed. This is a sign to you. You'll come here. That's my sign to you, the promise. Uh, the word associated with this place, that he will, you'll serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And Moses, and God said to Moses, I, this is, I, I can't get my mind uh, Ten Commandments. Uh, I don't have deep in the voice. I am who I am has sent you. <laughs> it's, I, just, I just love it. I mean, it's, it's great voices in there. But I am who I am. Thus you shall say that I am has sent me to you. Now, just a little linguistic. I think this is um, in what do the Israelites call God in the Old Testament. What's the name, the personal name they use for God? They come, what? Yahweh. Yahweh. Which we translate Lord. Actually, that word Yahweh in Hebrew means He is. Here it's Aya, which is the, it's the basic form of to be. I am who I am. Whereas when He says, Who's who sent you? The Lord. He has. He is. His name is He is. Do you get a picture? What What's kind of the root behind all of this? I am, he is. What's, there's a verb behind it. The, to be. Existence. The word of existence is his name. That's, that's, that's why we could say that I am is, he is. There's nothing apart from him. Yes? That's interesting because in the, um, the creed that we confess today, mm-hmm. Existence is he. he all, all existence is found in, but this world does not exist and cannot be sustained without his hand. He is. It's, it's, it's just transcending time. 
There's, it's just, it's uh, just uh, um, all existence is in him, in that, uh, uh, that word. He is, I am, is a very, you know, a, the God of existence. Nothing is apart, which is, but now they took Yahweh and they made Adonai out of it and they would, you know, put it in this. So it's Yah, Yah, Yahovah, you'll see that. Jehovah is a, a translation of that in uh, many English versions. And then verse 15, Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. And then he is called to go to the, the elders and gather them together. And verse 20, oh, verse 19, I am sure the king of Egypt will not let you go not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give his, this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be when you go, you shall not go empty-handed. You'll plunder them. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, gold, clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and your daughters, and you shall plunder the Egyptians. And so uh, the Lord is laying out uh, his ministry uh, to uh, Moses and what Moses was called uh, to do. Any questions on that or thoughts? Uh, okay, let's close with a benediction. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.